What does the word intentional mean for you? Well, for me, it means uh, present moment awareness and being very intentional right here, right now in this moment. Welcome to Intentional Growth, a show that teaches you as a business owner and entrepreneur to view and run your company like a financial asset, which will allow you to enjoy work, create wealth, and make an impact. This mindset will help you focus on building a more valuable business and give you the choices to grow, acquire, reinvest, or exit and live the life you plan for, all with intention. And now here's your host, Ryan Tansom. All right, so we are on episode three of theme two, and that is, are you running a lifestyle business or are you creating more valuable asset? And today we are going to have two business owners on the show who currently own their companies who have adopted this mindset. They are actually uh, current clients of Arcona. They've both been through the intentional growth training and they are both CFO clients. And they have, they're here to share with us and their names are Cindy Banshee and Rob Dubay. Rob has been on the show a couple times recently and Cindy's new to the show. She's an avid listener. And so Cindy, thank you so much. Uh, and I'm so excited to have these two on the show. One is I feel unbelievably blessed that they're willing to share their story of how they got to where they are. They're very vulnerable and very thoughtful people, and they've got a lot of uh, things pulling out their ske- uh, schedules and calendars. So thank you so much for being on the show, you guys. And I, the, the intent behind this, everybody, is that we have business owners who have done the hard work to view their company as an asset, and they're willing to share with us what the kind of work they did in order to get to this point, and then how their decision-making has been different now that they're viewing their company as an asset. They talk about the, the skills and resources that they've adopted in order to continue to enhance their decision-making, to continue to enhance their or progress towards the ultimate goal of creating a more valuable company that is in line with their ultimate goal personally to create wealth, enjoy work and make an impact. And I hope you get a lot of practical ideas and and uh, gold nuggets out of this because it's not just theory. These are people that have done the hard work to get to the outcomes that they're striving for. So I really hope you enjoy the owner case studies here. And this is, again, the last episode in, the, in theme two. And stay tuned next uh, theme where we're going to be talking about how to, to demystify business valuations. And in between there, though, we're going to have an economic update that I think everybody's going to really enjoy. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And I hope you enjoy my interview with Rob Dubay and Cindy Banshee. This episode is brought to you by Arcona's Fractional CFO Services. Arcona's Fractional CFOs integrate into your management team and assume the responsibility of the CFO. They become your strategic financial partner to help you run the business, create your value growth plan, and build the financial roadmap to the valuation you want to achieve. Cindy and Rob, how are you two? Good. Oh, doing, both had that. Doing had not. great. We're, <laughs> yeah, we're going to be very polite with each other, aren't we, Cindy? You go yeah. first. No, you go first. <laughs> yeah, just a bunch of smiles and like. Raise and, uh, my hand. There you go. <laughs> Uh, well, I am so excited. I, when you get, when us three were on our uh, previous call, I am so honored to have you guys here as dear friends, clients, and then also the fact that you guys got to meet each other and I just get to sit and witness uh, two people that are doing cool things. And I, I'm very honored. So uh, I don't always feel that way because it's uh, me getting to know other people, but this is very, very fun for me. 
Um, so what I wanted to do, just each of you guys give a little bit of background on your, 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 just your background, the company, what you do, you know, how you got into it. And then we can uh, start, start talking about the theme, which is, you know, how to view your company as an asset. You guys have come a long way. We weren't all co completely responsible for it. And you guys have done a lot of hard work, but I wanted to start with uh, Cindy. Why don't you kind of give a, your background and then we'll see it up over to Rob. Sure. Um, I grew up on a farm and uh, it was quite a challenge and decided that at some point in time, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I took a, a side detour and uh, worked at IBM for 16 years and finally said enough corporate America. I'm done. <laughs> if uh, if um, my family can run a business, I think I can run a business too. I was already in my mid 40s, so I decided to buy a franchise um, and actually get a little help. So I bought Vanguard Cleaning Systems, and it is a master franchise, which, <laughs> as you know, Ryan, is uh, has um, kind of pulled my hair out at times, but uh, has uh, given me a very nice lifestyle. Um, so I bought that in 2005 and uh, have been running it ever since and um, just growing it and trying to serve the franchise community. And yeah, we got to ask, going from IBM to commercial cleaning, so there's probably some questions and the listeners like, how did that happen? And what was the, why, why commercial cleaning? Why Vanguard? Yeah, why commercial cleaning? Well, when I was looking at franchising at, at different models, I had some criteria and one of the, you know, I had some real strong feelings. I did not want retail. Um, I did not want nights and weekends, which sounds funny, but I actually don't do the cleaning. So, um, and I really... <laughs> I wanted um, something, I'll call it, for lack of a better term, under the radar, blue collar. And it's just a, it's one of these industries. I wanted recession proof. It's pretty recession proof and relatively pandemic proof as well. Um, so I just wanted a really resilient business. Um, I also wanted to serve a community that I think um, is underserved uh, in the franchisees and um, I really feel that, you know, as part of our mission, I get up every day and feel like I'm building that community and building their financial base so they can go off and do really cool things with um, their families and their communities. So that's awesome. And I remember you saying something like, hey, that we're, there's nothing more attractive in an industry where the table stakes of succeeding are show up, respond, be nice. <laughs> like the things that I'm telling my daughters these days. So it's like, Hey, there you go. There, there's part of the playbook. Pretty straightforward. And, and again, coming from a very professional environment and stepping into that and realizing really that's it um, was, was kind of an eye opener, but um, we've really used that to our advantage as one of our competitive advantages. And um, it's proven to work quite well. So yeah, no, it's been a funny transition, but um one that I'm really glad I made. That's awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Cindy. So Rob and to you, my friend. Yes. Well, Cindy is so cool to hear farming, family business farming, which is like the root, you know, it's such a foundation. <laughs> And then to go to IBM and have that professional trading, uh -huh. you know, and then to kind of in a way, bring it all together as the, as the, this second or this, I don't know if you would call it the second or third part of your career, but I mean, growing up around a farm, that kind of counts. So, wow, that is a cool story. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Um, mine's a little different. 
I, Ryan knows it. I started selling blow pop lollipops out of my locker with my best friend, Joel Perlman, um, in ninth grade, we'd buy them from for a nickel and resell them for a quarter at lunch. <laughs> and I like to tell this story. I never knew it would have the kind of, we'd still be talking about it. Lollipops this many years lolly- back. Yeah. Years I, <laughs> right. But so many people just relate to the story. They, they either did something similar or they know somebody that did their friend, their uncle, their you know, nephew, whatever. So um, I always like to share that because that's when the entrepreneurial bug definitely bit me. And Joel and I did a bunch of different businesses in high school and college. And when we graduated college, we started the business that we still own today, Image One. And we started by recycling toner cartridges that went into these new things called laser printers, Ryan's old business. (laughs) Toner. (laughs) That's right. And um, we've we've, uh, evolved into a dealer of managed print services. So we sell multifunction printers and copiers and contracts that go along with the with those. Uh, this is not a recession-proof business like yours, and it is not a pandemic-proof <laughs> business like yours. So the last two plus years have been really interesting, uh, but I wouldn't change it for a thing. I've learned a ton and, um, and we're still at it. And, and thankfully, uh, prior to the pandemic, I met Ryan and, uh, during the pandemic, we started working with, with Arcona and, um, not that you're asking me to say this, Ryan, you most definitely ask not, but I can't help myself. It's been such a great relationship and I'm really grateful. I appreciate that guys. And, uh, so this is going to be fun. Cause I, you know, just to kind of set the foundation of the conversation is, you know, both of you guys have been part of CEO peer groups and are highly involved in a lot of different organizations and looked upon. And, you know, I was, I, I was and have been, and there's a lot of this discussion or like, what, what are we going to do with the business? You know, and like how are people are setting their goals and, and you two have come out the other side of all of your experience viewing your company as an asset. And I was thinking a lot about how do we want to, you know, structure this conversation. The reality is I think we just want to have a dialogue because you guys have this mindset now, but then people that are listening in might not have that mindset. Or if you think about yourself in the past when you started the business or different key points, you know, trying to help people understand what were those enlightening points that helped you view it differently. So maybe I wanted to start with the, you know, the end. And so Cindy, for you, you know, your view in your company is an asset. Maybe just talk about how you view your company and your relationship with your business first. And then I want to come come back and go, how did, how did you get there? And we'll do the same thing, Rob. And we'll, and then we can volley back and forth too. Sure. Um, I view it as a truly an asset. Um, and, and you know, this Ryan, um, I, have gotten through Arcona, thank you very much, quite educated on not only the terminology, but how to look at it from not only a growth, but um, you know, just a de-risking of all of the aspects that you can do within a business in order to make it more valuable to someone outside. Um, so I, I look at, when I look at my business, I look at two sides. I look at how do I work in the business to make sure it's growing strategically? What can we do to add value to our franchisees? The other side of the equation I always keep an eye on now is what can I do to increase the value of the business, not just by revenue, but by de-risking it. And by that, I mean, Am I um, am I putting the right operations in place? Am I putting the right strategic plan in place? Am I um, making sure that my concentration of customers uh, is across multiple industries? All things with an eye 
for someone looking at the business eventually to say, that's a pretty solid business with, and of course, by my nature, we're recurring revenue. <laughs> so, you know, we've got some very nice things. And of course, I'm working on that, uh, you know, that really strategic part of letting someone else run my business. So I make sure I'm uh, taking a month off. Um, so, <laughs> all part of the plan, right? So I, <laughs> uh, so I think that that's, that's really how I am. Uh, I've shifted to, because you never do that when you start. I mean, you're all in. Mm-hmm. And over time, as you, your asset grows, you have to start realizing separate from you, you have this entity that um, you need to take care of in a very different way than when you're just trying to get every, you know, contract and every widget out the door. So a different, different perspective. And that shifts over time. I love it. That was very well, well articulated. And Rob, how about yourself? You know, how do you view your business, especially with some of your background with EOS and, you know, implementing operating systems, Knowing that there's a lot of these tentacles, when I say tentacles, like the great game of business, all these different places that you've been educated today, when you're looking at the business, what does it mean to you and what's your relationship with it? Well, you know, you mentioned EOS and great game of business, of which we are practitioners of both. Uh, We've been running on EOS for over 20 years and great game of business since 2014. So I guess it'd be about eight years or so open book finance. And both of those help at help me and our team at certain points understand what the best roles are for the people at the company. And I understood what my role was. But as we grew, I started to notice that I didn't have the skills needed to really take the company where we wanted it to go. We created a vision for 2026 back in 2016. At that time, I was serving as the president and I really felt like I had hit my ceiling. And so it was important for us to bring somebody in and replace me. And that was the first time where I started to say, you know, okay, like I'm not capable anymore, whether it be just skill set and drive or both. In my case, I think it was both. And, um, you know, we, it, it, if I'm going to look at this business as something beyond providing me with a job, I got to make a change. And so we worked on that. And then I moved into a co-CEO with my business partner. And I very quickly realized that I also had hit a ceiling there. And uh, it was also time to make a change. And that's actually around the time that we met you guys. And, um, you know, pretty quickly, the two of us got on the same page with that. And we were able to segue out and put somebody in place that we really believe will protect our asset, de-risking, as Cindy said. So coming full circle to your question, this business is an asset. I am a 50% shareholder in Image One, and it is a great piece of my net worth. I have other holdings, but this is the majority holding of my net worth and I need to protect it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, we're very clear about what the future looks like, what we want it to look like. You're going to have a lot of phone calls, man. <laughs> yeah. We have this crystal ball, but we can't yeah. share it with anyone. And Rob's number is X, Y, yeah. and Z. And <laughs> yeah. what we would like it to look like. And, uh, you know, if everything goes as planned, you know, that will be great, you know, and, and, and I'm sure there'll be bumps along the road. I've been doing this long enough to know that, that there will be. So, um, but that's how I look at yeah. it now. Super helpful. And the, the concept, there's a couple of concepts I just want us to maybe just open up and rally around. And the, one of the f- first ones that I think 
some of these concepts when they're not understood, they conflate all of this. It's like all like all of these, like the, the ability to see the entity as an asset becomes very, very cloudy and hard to see. And the first one I, I have realized is this concept of ownership roles versus management roles and what they are and how they impact your, how you view things. And so either one of you want to go first or maybe it's, you know, I can just start with you and then we can kind of keep doing that. But like, what does ownership roles versus management roles mean to you and how does that impact your decision-making? Well, to me, I think the easiest way to equate it is management is EBITDA and ownership is normalized EBITDA. So EBITDA for me is all of the levers again that I can pull to make sure that I make my EBITDA as strong as I can while again, accomplishing the mission of the business. So, and that means, you know, making sure that my team and all of the things that you need to do to be a manager and a leader are in place. So that side is really still very important for me. But then on the uh, ownership side, again, it's almost you're always wearing two hats as far as I'm concerned. You're looking in the business and then you're looking at the business. And that's probably the best way to describe it because when I'm looking at the business, I step back from that and saying, what are the outside things that I need to be taking care of? Just like Rob, this is a this is a major part of my net worth and, and I need to protect it. Um, so what do I need to do from the outside looking in? Um, and, and it could be legal, it could be uh, insurance, it could be things that I need to do to protect that asset. And also just, you know, making sure I am keeping very clean books um, so that I'm not running a lot of things through my business. Um, I want to make sure whoever looks at this truly could look from the outside in and go, this is a really well-run, clean, easy to understand for the most part business. Um, so that's how I look at it. Well, and as we uh, uh, volley back over to you, Rob, is like, you know, Cindy and Rob, both of you two, like I, I find, you know, with Rob, our dear friend, Bo Burlingham and finish big and talking about the identity infusion that people have with their business, this management role and ownership role gets so conflated that it's like, I'm the boss. I'm the person at the top making all the decisions. Cause I own this. And by the way, I'm also in the management team meeting, telling everybody what to do. And, and, and so all this kind of goes into one, you two have an uncanny ability to reduce your egos and put them to the side and then level up managers, which is not easy for a lot of entrepreneurs. I mean, you guys both laugh because it's second nature, I believe, from your guys' personalities. But I think it yields results on very good leaders, but then it helps level those people up. And I think it's an interesting trait that helps people then view their company as an asset. And like, Cindy, you know, you're going to Peru. When is it? September. All September, September for a whole month. And you're not, and you're wearing that owner hat. You're not necessarily running the business because someone else is running it while you're there. And so with Rob, you've had some interesting ways of navigating these roles. So especially even with, you can choose to use the EOS language or not, but like with the ownership role versus the management role, what does that mean to you? And how does that then manifesting itself in decision-making inside of your company? Well, I mean, I think similar to what I was mentioning before is I just personally always want to take a check. 
at myself. And am I the right person to be in this box? You know, when you think about the way EOS talks about an accountability chart, um, and do I really have the skills that are necessary or is it by default because I'm the shareholder or the owner of the company that I just get whatever job I decides the right one for me. (laughs) And that's not to me, um, running my business like an asset. Um, and in my case, it's quite easy. I like to step away and I actually prefer to be in the owner's box, so to speak, and be there and be as useful as I can in the places that I can be, which aren't many places. But what I've noticed in entrepreneurs oftentimes is ego is very much at the forefront of their business. Their identity is wrapped up in it. And they love being the person, you know, like when you walk in the door, so-and-so uh, is here. <laughs> you know, hey, hey, you know. Yeah. And, and oddly, you know, they, they, they kind of like it. They're, they're needed. They're respected. They're looked up to. It can feel almost like an addiction sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so, um, no, no problem. Like just know that and know that that's most likely the kind of business that you're running. And, um, and, and so in my case, obviously, you know, from what I've said before, I'm really looking at it more as an asset and just one that, that I want to protect and being in any particular role doesn't really make a difference to me. I just want to be where I can bring the most value to the asset and to Mm -hmm. the people running the company. What do you need for me to make this EBITDA grow? So we could grow as a company and my asset could grow. Cindy, do you have any comments on that? I think, you know, Rob, it's it's this servant leader, right? Where we're always asking our people, what do you need from me? What roadblocks can I take out of the way? Um, And then trusting them. I mean, to me, trust is a huge, huge piece of being able to walk away for a month, a year at a time and know that that business and people, I don't know about you, Rob, but people say to me, how the world can you disconnect from the world for a month, literally not take my phone. And I said, I trust my people. Yeah. Yeah. What is it that you guys do to, to actually trust the the people that are running the, the show for you guys? Go ahead, Cindy. <laughs> this is where the, the kindness is going yeah, yeah. no, <laughs> to interrupt each other. Come on, guys. <laughs> I think, I think the, the, to me, it's mentoring them, um, training them, hiring the right people. I also, you know, it's, it's good to great, right? Hire the right people, get the right people on the bus. But once you have the right people on the bus, if you don't trust them, get them off. Because if, if you can't leave and feel that everything is going to be fine, you're stuck. You're never going to look at this business as an asset because you have to be able to, uh, when and if you you know you move forward and, and go and do other things, whether it's selling the business or stepping out of the business and letting it run, you have to have somebody in charge that you can sleep at night. And if you can't sleep at night, then then you're not doing your job as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. As as far as treating it like an asset. It's true. I mean. It, I, it, there's, there's nothing groundbreaking to share here. You know, it's about people and how you trust them and how you treat them and you treat them with genuine care every day, every time. And, and you, you, the recruiting and the hiring is very key. 
obviously. And once you have those right people in the right seats, as Cindy said, you know, then it's, you don't lose sleep over anything because you know, they got it covered. And if anything for myself, you know, I just try to stay out of their way because I'll, I'll just mess things up. So <laughs> I just prefer to not know and get my high level updates because I truly trust them. And obviously things are going in the way that we plan, then there's not much, you know, that we need to cover, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But if they aren't, then we need to huddle up and make it right. I think drawing a box around responsibilities and letting them get there any way they can is smart leadership. And I yeah. agree with Rob. Every time I get engaged, I step on the wrong button and I blow <laughs> something up. And it's like, That's right. I, you know, I know better than that. So I've learned yeah. to just ask for the high level. And if I need to dig down, then I'll dig down, but get the right people, tell them the boundaries, make sure if they cross the boundaries, they understand the consequences, but then let them go. Yeah. I want to build on that because I think um, oftentimes uh, leaders don't really understand the power of their words. They, they understand the idea of it, but they don't understand when it's actually coming out of their mouth that if I say X, Y, Z, oftentimes that becomes almost like a command, like, oh, that's mm. the way he would like it done. And so questions, again, nothing groundbreaking here, curiosity and questions are the greatest thing that we can do in our positions. Um, that That's really all I try to think about each and every day is, you know, what are, when somebody has a challenge or if I recognize something, what are good questions I can ask around that? Mm -hmm. And hopefully that opens up a person's mind to, you know, whatever the things that they need to do to move things forward. And so I, th I think it's an important thing in a leadership role is oh, being yeah. curious. <laughs> the, uh, uh, the people like me who like to think out loud, be careful. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, Pat, Pat I, I'm, like, I'm like, hey, this is a half-baked idea, just FYI. Mm -hmm. So I have to like preface it with like how fully formed this idea is. But I think it's very in intriguing that as you guys have let go of your management roles to other CEOs and executives, what are you know, Cindy? You said there's this box that you said that let them get there every any way that they can. You know, I think people thinking and listening in right now are going, "How do you manage a CEO of a company that that's not you?" So, like, what are the what are the things that you've seen successful of saying, "Hey, like, you know, go do whatever you do, but here's here's the box." So maybe, Cindy, what are the parameters? Oh, you want Rob? Okay, we'll go with Rob. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for for. The CEO who's running our company, um, we meet, we have a meeting rhythm. Again, <laughs> nothing groundbreaking here, a meeting rhythm, 90 minutes every two weeks. This is a time where I can ask some questions about things I'm curious about or noticing, and I can't get them out of my head, and I just got to know. And that's usually a pretty small list. And then, he, and then he'll come with anything he needs help on whether it be collective intelligence or a brain dump or, you know, an ear, just somebody to listen, or maybe a real problem that he wants to talk through and have me help him solve. And then what is his scorecard? What are the important metrics that we're looking at together that when I'm in Peru, if I just if I just peeked at the email like two weeks in just to see the scorecard, there was just that, you know, 10 numbers. I could see that 
all is well, or I better hop on a plane and get back to Minneapolis where Sydney is ASAP. <laughs> um, in my case, it's Detroit. But um, you know, so I think you know those are those are the the to me that's our rhythm mm-hmm. and that's the way we go about it. Yeah. How about you, Cindy? It's it, um, almost identical. Uh, we have, uh, I, you know, I don't know if you've ever read Death by Meeting, but uh, <laughs> daily huddle, uh, very fast, very quick paced, whole team, um, weekly meetings with my regional director, and then, um, you know, weekly meetings with the team and scorecards. Every, you know, and when you ask about the box, it gets easy, Ryan. When when it's yellow or red, I have a question. When it's green, I stay out of their way. So it's not that hard. It's just making sure that you don't overmeasure. You measure the key things um, that you know are going to help drive the business or get the strategic project done. But other than that, you know, the, I think the biggest problem that you have if you've got too much time on your hand as a leader is you're going to micromanage people because you don't have anything to do. So you've got to go find something to do. And I think that's part of separating yourself from the business is taking that time. And instead of saying, I've got to be here, say, I've got to get out of here. Um, and you joke about Peru, but I literally will be in the Andes. I am not going to have. No, you won't. So that's, and this isn't the first time I've done that, but I think it's that again, you know, it's that box. If I come back and everything's red, I might reassess things. <laughs> You know, I've done this before. I'm not too worried about it. So this uh, concept of the KPIs you guys are alluding to, you know, we're not going to make this a financial conversation, but to, to, you know, shed some light on some of the numbers that you guys are paying attention to. Before we get to some of the, some of that, I want to, I'm curious for myself and for the listeners, where in your guys' journey, you started to understand how businesses were valued and some of the components that created that value. So Rob, maybe to you first, because I, and here's my why behind the question is I think, and I'll just give you my explanation of a lifestyle business versus someone that's building a valuable asset lifestyle business. I mean, my dad and I, I would say that we had one, even though we didn't know it was how much money can we take out of this company every year, distributions, perks, wages. And then it was then how much do we need to continue to hit our growth plan kind of. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. And so the, the opposite is focusing on a valuable business. So with that kind of context, like how, what, how are you, how did you understand value and what generated value and what that means to you? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I would say a little over 20 years ago, I joined an organization, which at the time was called YEO, Young Entrepreneurs Organization. It's now called EO. And I just started to learn from the different learning events that we had. And then from my peers uh, to see the business as something other than, you know, in our case, just trying to get out there and hustle and make some sales and make a halfway decent living. Cause that's really <laughs> what I, all I was doing at that point. Um, and so that was really eye-opening. And then we, we kind of had a moment where a lot came at once to us in terms of learning because we actually got approached by a public company uh, back in 04 and they were interested in buying our company. And we all of a sudden had to answer certain types of questions. And, you know, we had some great mentorship um, from my business partner's uh, father, who was CFO for a very large company um, in his, before he had retired. And so he was very helpful in educating me and, and also uh, my business partner, Joel. And, uh, and, and really going through that acquisition 
was, you know, it, it, we, it was like the drinking from a fire hose kind of thing. Like we had to learn and we had to negotiate and make a good case for the value of our business. And so that was really, you know, I think that was unique. Most people aren't going to learn that way and I wouldn't recommend it. I would recommend learn, <laughs> learn it as if you're getting, you're about to sell it and, and then you'll, you'll be in good shape when, if, and when that time comes. That's awesome. And you bought the business back for the listeners that don't know the second part of that story that yeah. you, when you say it's that you hope that people don't do, they also don't have the chance to buy their business back and then give it another try, <laughs> which is, which is fantastic. And, and I think, but it's also interesting and I want to come back. For, so if I forget how you're doing things differently, that's what I was thinking. And, and maybe well, I want to go to you, Cindy, first, before we go to Rob for that. I think what happens when you first buy a business, as I said, is you're so all in on it. And then at some point in time, as I was starting to think, maybe um, I need to start think more, thinking more about exiting it. Now, I, I began with the end in mind. I always have planned on selling the business. So that was my that was my beginning point. And I think that helped me. But, you know, you know, uh, you can either um, sell a business, you know, have it go to, um, uh, a fire sale if you die, I mean, or even you know, give it to your family. I mean, there's only so many things you can do. And I think a lot of people just push that decision off and push it off and push it off at some point in time. If you don't own up to that, you're going to end up in a situation that you don't want to be in. And so I finally decided to get proactive and start thinking through okay, if that's my goal, how do I start to prepare for that now? Um, and I know part of it is growing the business, but again, the thing that Arcona and um, one of the things I loved about, you know, just understanding what you guys could bring to the table is that whole de-risking thing that just like blew me away. Uh, it was like, oh, I can actually affect more than just the revenue. So that really made a difference to me. Um, but then, you know, just moving through that um, whole cycle and getting to the point where I understood the definitions, I understood what value was, um, I'm, so that I'm not surprised. I did have an offer out of the blue and I turned it down because I didn't know anything. It was, it was like, mm -hmm. I, I don't know what my business is worth. And I don't know if that's what you tell me is, is really what it's worth or not. So that was when the deep digging went in and that was just before I started working with Arcona. So mm -hmm. it was, it, the timing was really, really good to help me get clarity on that. Mm. So Rob, that's super helpful, Cindy. And I think for both of you, like, I think there's this concept and I want to maybe tie your story into this, Rob, and then also Cindy, your mindset from day one, because you bought a franchise, right? Like when you buy something, you generally want that investment to grow. It's just like you said, nothing earth shattering, right, Rob? Like I put money in. I think a lot of investors in the public markets are going to be a little shocked in the somewhat near future. Like you, something needs to have cash flow and more cash flow into the future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there's this concept that, I've struggled with for years since we sold, which is this exit word. I absolutely hate it now, but it's a necessary evil. And we that's why the principle three is exit options. It's just about understanding how they work. It's not about selling today. And I think what happens is when people avoid it, to your point, Cindy, they put their head in the sand because they hate it. And then therefore they miss you know decades of opportunity of growing value. <laughs> and so with Rob, like, and, and then Cindy, you can chime in is, how did you, after you got the business back, how did your mindset and the perception of the business and the purpose of owning that change? Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, it was definitely 
a progression, a little thing at a time, a little thing at a time. And it, it really started with Bo Burlingham and his book, Small Giants, and realizing that, you know, we could create uh, a special culture if we really put our mind to it and, and uh, cared about our people in a much different way than we were doing before. And then those people help create value within the organization. And hopefully they can participate in, in that value at some point. Um, I also learned along the way about open book finance. And I mentioned the great game of business that just happens to be sort of the way we do it, that, that system. But I realized how I did I happen to know how to read a balance sheet and an income statement, which a lot of entrepreneurs actually don't. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, you know, I think that's very important. I know a lot of people say, I don't understand numbers. Not my thing. I totally get that a hundred percent, but, you know, push yourself on that one. It's worth it. Uh, because once it clicks, it's really, you really get a better understanding of your business and its health. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm going to, I'll go on the on the stump for a moment because you know when people at the company understand it the way you do, they just make better decisions because they <laughs> have the information that they need to make those better decisions. I the, my favorite story ever is we had a technician in Des Moines, Iowa, and at the time he was 24 years old, so he was just out of college. And he was on site at one of our customers where we had inventory. And I went there to visit and I saw the inventory room and I said, wow, tell me all about all this stuff in here. And he said, well, these are extras for that. And this is extra for this and so on and so forth. And I said, well, how much in terms of dollars do you think is, is in here? And he kind of you know calculated and he said, maybe about $70,000. And I said, well, how much do you need? Like, do you really, really need? Like, so the customer is always taken care of, but it's not like too much of a cushion. And, you know, I, through some calculations, it was like 20,000. And at that moment, he realized that's $50,000 not in our bank. It's sitting on a shelf. And that sometimes that inventory can actually expire. So it could, you know, really uh, be worth nothing. And a 24-year-old could get that. And, and how powerful is that? I mean, mm -hmm. he got on the phone, he started sending inventory to other locations and so on and so forth and unloading it so it could go to good use. Now, if a 24-year-old just a couple of years out of college could grab that concept, this is a technician. It's not right. a financial wizard, you know, wizard. You know, people get it. And nope. it takes a lot of pressure off you too, as, as an owner or as CEO or president or whatever your role is. So, and then taking that financial literacy a step further too, I think um, one of the challenges that, I'll, I mean, how many times have you guys heard, I want to get this to a point where I can hire a CEO, but then there's no way for them to see how that's even possible, like when and how they can afford it. And I, just to kind of layer the concepts on it, like when I think about looking at the three statements into the future, like, Hey, here's when you might be able to hire someone at a, you know, 15 grand a month, but like, it's going to be a while, but that the plan is, you know, to, to, to be able to afford this and what, where I'm getting no numbers necessary, but there's this concept, you remember from principle two of the three financial targets, the annual income of like, Hey, like how, when you guys were making these decisions of hiring these, you know, bigger players to help you run the company, what kind of insights are you looking at from the cash flow to say, okay, now it's okay for me and my lifestyle? I mean, like, you know, were you, was that part of the decision making to make sure that your income was, was needs were met while also reinvesting in the business? Absolutely. And um, again, mine came from within. 
but knowing how to incent him, how to pay him going forward was a result of being able to look at my true consolidated and, you know, Lord bless the cash flow, right? Um, and as you know, Ryan, uh, but being able to see it was just eye-opening because it, was, it wasn't like, I, I can see what I have on my bank statement, but I'm not sure how much I can actually spend of that because I'm not sure, you know, I'm trying to do math in my head. But when you finally see it on a statement and you go, oh, all right, I can do that and feel comfortable. And then you put it in the budget, you put it in the out, out your projections. It, it just, the magic happens. And then it's like, you get very comfortable for me going, I can, I can take care of him and take care of, uh, you know, his needs and I can take care of mine too. Mm -hmm. So it was a very uh, enlightening, and it's just the confidence that you have when you finally can see everything. Uh, it's it's uh, the anxiety goes away, and I now it's not a guess. I know, um, and I know on a monthly basis that takes a that takes so much anxiety and pressure off of of me as an owner to to understand where the business is going, what the financials are, and I agree with Rob. Anybody that um, doesn't understand their financials really needs to put some time in because you're putting so much work and energy into your business and you don't understand what's going on in your books. It's really, I think, a, um, a, a almost potentially dangerous spot to sit in because mm. if you can't see where you're going. How do you know you're going to get there? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a good quote right there. That's right. So Rob, how about you? Because I know, especially with partners, I mean, like, and I think that that's a big challenge too. We just got out of the strain with a couple of gentlemen, like, you know, we want to get to a point where we can make a couple hundred thousand dollars in distributions and hire a CEO. And then that, like, that's the goal. It's not the selling, but like, you know, you got a partner who's got different personal needs, one financial asset, and then you also got a CEO. How did you guys have this discussion? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, we're, Joel and I were fortunate. I'd mentioned you know, how far back we go. So we have a strong foundation of trust. And first and foremost, you know, we want to have happy lives. And so whatever we need to do to make that happen, we're going to support each other. And it may come at the at the detriment of some of our business goals, but it really hasn't to the most to uh, mostly. And so, um, you know, that's for us, that's just our story. I mean, every mm -hmm. par partnerships are complicated. And so, so is ours and we're really close and have that strong trust built. So I can only imagine if you don't. Um, a few things though, that came to my mind about, you know, handing it off to a CEO and being in the financial place to do it. I, I think Joel and I's approach is we've always taken a modest salary and we have taken our distribution certain percentage of overall EBITDA as our distribution. So that's the way we've gone about it. So our salaries were never exorbitant. Um, nonetheless, I can't I, I, I have to say throughout the years, oftentimes we would say, well, if we bring in somebody and pay them, let's say, you know, uh, 20,000 a month, uh, we could take 10, you could take 10 and, you know, then we'll make a hundred, you know, you know, we'll 10,000 a month more. more. We'll sol solving for annual income. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Said. So then that becomes like a now, a now decision. I yep. could get more now. And there are many schools of thought and I don't necessarily disagree with them. Pay yourself first as an entrepreneur. Now, personally, I've always had the mindset that um, I, I want to grow the business. I want it to be valuable. And if I'm not capable to do it, I'm willing to invest uh, 
And if that's in people, let's make that happen, but let's do that in a smart way. So in our case, we happen to be in a good position to do that. But if I had to go back and rethink about it, I would have done those things earlier. So Mm -hmm. that's upon Mm -hmm. reflection. I Mm -hmm. would have definitely made that decision earlier and had tried to build a stronger team earlier. And I think we would have gotten further along. Um, And then the last thing kind of along the lines of the last thing Cindy said, which is, you know, I think having a vision is really important. When we created our 10-year vision, it's the second time we've done that, and we're about ready to do our third one. Um, you, you know, time kind of slows down and you make better decisions as a result. You know, so if you're not quite ready for the CEO, you know, grab that in your vision and you know, kind of timeline it to a certain extent. Something that we did with Arcona is we actually built out our financial path to what our vision was at the time when we did it with Arcona to 2026. So we kind of have our financial plan built out year over year over year, which includes the investments and et cetera, and the the, the profit that we're expecting to make and mm-hmm. all the things that go along with it. Um, I That was a really useful exercise and we've already had to change it like three times. And I imagine we're going to continue to have to. So it's not some crystal ball, like I was saying earlier, by any stretch. <laughs> you still you know? don't have it. I still yeah, want it. But, it, you know, it's a, just another data point yeah. for clarity that if it's a CEO in somebody's case, they can see like, oh, okay, year three, if things go like this, that's when I'm going to pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't have to happen this second. And then you kind of get too much in the weeds. You, you're focused in the mm-hmm. next however many years that you'll start bringing somebody in. And I, and I think I, I agree, Robin. I think just putting that out there, you know how you mentally start crystallizing around that. But if you don't put yeah. that idea out there, you don't have that vision to work to. And you also, if, you, if this is going to free you up um, and give you more time and resources, you know, it's almost a gift to yourself. It's like, I'm going to give myself that gift. If I work hard, I'm going to reach that point. I'm going to be able to give myself that gift. And maybe, you know, it's a, the best thing for the company too. So mm-hmm. it's a win-win. And, you know, and I think just putting those those ideas and those intentions out there are really important. Putting them in part of your strategy and then looking at and this, again, the financial modeling you can do um, and same, same, Rob, we, we didn't project it as detailed, but we have that out, out your projection. It motivates you. It yeah. motivates you to move in that direction. And you're like, I'm, we're going to do this. We're going to figure out as a team how to do this. And so I think that um, it's really important to, to put those ideas out there. I do too. Can I, I, I keep that. going with that, Ryan? Yeah, do you mind? Go, go, go. Yeah, I just I gotta, have I gotta, to because I have a story I want to share about that. Because Joel and I made an intention to that we wanted to bring somebody in, and we weren't sure when. And you know, you start thinking about, well, you know, we have to start recruiting and let our network know. And we just kind of said, let's not do that. Let's just kind of put it out there. Keep keep our awareness at a heightened sense. And I happened to have done, um, I was doing a talk. It was to a small group. And after this person came up to me and he asked me some very thoughtful questions and I thought, wow, he's sharp and I'd like to stay in touch with him. And then we got 
interrupted, separated. Later, he actually emailed and said, hey, would you mind meeting for coffee? I enjoyed our conversation. I wouldn't have coffee with him during the coffee. He said, hey, I would love to stay in touch with you. Would you be a mentor to me? And I thought to myself, me, a mentor to you? I'd like you to mentor me, quite frankly. He was the <laughs> chief operating officer for a pretty good size uh, organization. And, uh, and, and then we came full circle. We kept in touch and he knew what our challenges were and what we were looking for. And I said, you know what? His name's Josh. I said, Josh, do you know anybody that's just like you? I know you're happy in your situation, but I'm not kidding. I would really like to find somebody like you. And he kind of gave me some names and this and that and the other thing. And then I called him and I said, what about you? And the rest is history. You joined the company, but we weren't, you know, we were intentional about putting it out there we weren't necessarily intentional. Like we had a recruiter looking for us, like that kind of intention. So if you believe in that kind of thing, it's very possible. Well, and I think you guys, there's a part of it that for me, I have a personal um, experience where you guys both mentioned that when you lay out those numbers into the future, your anxiety goes down. Cause then, then like to your point, like this is what I've done with my own, with my personal life in the, in the, in our business is that once that plans out, you're like, I don't know exactly in month 30, how that's going to unfold. But like, there's parameters there and we're moving that direction that allows you to, it allows you to be hypersensitive to the interaction with Josh. Like if you weren't planning for that, you weren't doing that, you wouldn't have saw that that was important to follow up. So I think it's like this weird in between, it's not completely rigid and, and structured. Like you want that, whatever clear outcome is, it's more like a loose understanding. And Cindy, you said something too, when I was with you last year or some point where just your anxiety went down so much. And, and I don't know what it is about the numbers. Cause I hated finance growing up. You know, I was, I just joked around in the workshop I did today. I'm like, I was a copier salesperson for crying out loud. <laughs> Here we are all talking about numbers, but something about the numbers and when they speak to you brings down that anxiety. And I'm curious on what that was like for you, Cindy. Well, and I think, first of all, I was, I did terribly in math, but I think when you have your own business and if you care about your business, you care about your numbers. So you have to, it just naturally for me, I got, yeah, I took accounting, you know, standard stuff, but it wasn't mine. As soon as the numbers in front of me were like, oh, yeah, that's actually me. I took a lot more interest in what that balance sheet and income statement said. Right. So that was, um, you know, really important to me. And then as I told you, Ryan, and you saw, I had a little bit here and a little bit there, but that framework that you guys show as a trailing 12 and the consolidated and the annual and the projection, it was like, and you know, I called you that day. I said, I need one of those. <laughs> I said, I've got pieces. And so I think that anxiety goes down when you know, not because most people have their balance sheet and income statement. I bet you most people don't have their cash flow. Maybe they do percent would be my guess. For sure, they don't do out your projections. And for sure, that trailing 12, I mean, you guys are phenomenal. That trailing 12 just, it's like you see trends like crazy. Mm. Right? So being able in one point in time to look at all of that, no matter what question I'm asking today, I can get the answer. I never have been able to do that before. And that is where the, you know, the anxiety was, can I take this much out for distributions? I'm not quite sure. Can I give these guys a, a raise? Will I be able to afford this strategic objective? Don't know. I think right. I can. My, mm -hmm. you know, my, my balance sheet, my income statement say I can, but I don't know. And with all of this, and then you know, the icing on the cake is 
I kind of know my valuation. Like, so somebody comes up and says to me, hey, I'll buy your company for X, Y, Z. I'm like, mm, little, little low. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to go ahead and just spruce that offer up a little yeah. bit. <laughs> so anyway, but that to me was when I was so excited about what you brought to the table because I got to, I got, I now get to take that anxiety down and look at my company from a very holistic financial perspective. And I couldn't do it without what Arconis put, Arconis put together for us. Just couldn't. I, I appreciate that. And, and it's so funny to your point, Rob. Again, nothing earth shattering. I mean, Pat, without steal his quote, we didn't invent any of this. The monks did in the 1400s. Counting. I don't know. It just makes sense. But yeah. it's so funny. I got to tell, I was going to tell a funny uh, Cindy story. So Cindy, you know, said, I want the company to be worth X, Y, and Z in 2026 or 2025. I remember what it was. So all we did was reverse engineer and it's 30% year over year growth. She's like, is that it? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, this is not our goals. This is what you said you wanted to accomplish. And it was I like challenge that. accepted. And I'm like, oh, and again, it was like, but then it like, regardless of whether it's too much or too little, is not the point. It's more of just saying, okay, what do we got to do to get there? Mm-hmm. And I'm curious as, as we, with that kind of clarity, you guys, I think, you know, in, in our principle four, we talk about de-risking, like you were mentioning, Cindy, and it's not just top line revenue or just employee count, et cetera. There's things that you can invest in that you might not like or enjoy. So how is your, how is like, you know, from an ownership hat, like how is like what you're directing people to invest in? Has that, how has that changed? Or like the visibility into how much you want to deploy in certain areas? I mean, is it, has it changed at all? I guess. And, and I don't know if I'm really looking for a specific answer here. Rob, Cindy, either one. <laughs> okay, I'll go. All right, now, just for clarification, are you talking about the company? Yeah, just the yeah, company. Yeah. So, for example, yeah. like, you know, I just make it up. These are not your guys' numbers. Well, let's say if you have a million dollars in cash flow, pay some taxes, take some distribution. Let's say you got a half a million bucks left over. Like, I, I think about my dad and I, every dollar went back into sales and marketing because we were a sales and marketing company not, you know, working at other things. But, you know, when you think about EOS, Rob, people sit there and they're trying to make their rocks and their, their VTO, but it's not driven off of value creation. So like curious on how you're viewing that or like how you're just determining what uh, should be worked on in the business. Yeah. So, you know, in our case, we have a certain expectation around distributions. So X percentage is distributions to the shareholders of which Joel and I are the two shareholders of the company. The next percentage is reinvestment back into the company into the next, into the upcoming year for future years. And then the last part are cash reserves. So when we hit bumps in the road that we're prepared. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of break it down in those three buckets. Awesome. How about you, Cindy? I think I almost do the the flip of it. I look at the cash reserves first and make sure the company is solid. Um, And then I look at the distributions, right? That I want to make sure that that is uh, steady because again, that ties back into um, your, you know, your, what do you, what do you want out of the business, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Short-term and long-term, there's that balance. But I also make sure every year I'm setting some money aside. And again, I, I like to look at the strategic plan based on, what can I do from a comparative advantage or what can I do to, I keep using the word de-risk, but do I need to uh, you know, go into a new territory? What do I need to do in order to continue to spread that out across the company? So then it's picking those two to three projects because you can't work on everything and then making sure if I'm going to do that, I've got the money to do that. 
Um, and then, you know, making sure it's built into the annual and built into the projections. So it's just ties together. But I, again, I, for me, I look at the cash first, the cash reserve, but really you all, I don't know how you can't not end up with those three buckets because those really are the three buckets. Well, and if you think about it, guys, like the only way to get that clarity is through the numbers, like we've been talking about and organizing the three financial statements. Cause like so many people in the workshop I gave this morning and they, they look at their income statement and then they look at their checking account. <laughs> it's like, how are you supposed to know what's working capital, what's distributions, what's taxes? Mm-hmm. Like what? And it's just so convoluted. And that's where I think of so much of that anxiety comes from. That's how we ran the business. It's like how much cash we got in the bank and the, every two weeks on Thursday when the wires do, I mean, like that's extre- extremely stressful and it's, I think it just, it approaches everything differently. It allows you to. So moving on as we're kind of getting close to to wrapping up is, you know, I think that, you know, especially you two care so much about your people and the people and the vendors you work with. And yet you're also, you have this ego that you've pushed down to be able to view your company as an asset. I think it's an interesting, I'm trying to think of even the words I'm thinking while I'm, I'm talking here is that, to be able to view your company as an asset where you're not like Milton Friedman shareholder value at all costs. But then we, we you know, we both, you, all three of us talk about conscious capitalism a lot. What allows you to hold in your same brain the ability that this is a financial asset and I need the money off of this and it's going to have a financial implication, but also like Rob, the small giants mentality. You know, mm-hmm. does, 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 I don't even know if there's a specific question there, like, like, like but like how. Because I think a lot of people find it a difficult thing. It's either I'm going to shut off my emotions to sell this for max purchase price, and then I'll deal with the emotions later. And so, or like, I'm going to not focus on my culture because I'm going to do, you know what I mean? Like, they can't hold both of those concepts in their head at the same time. So Rob, maybe to you first, if there's sure. just more just comments on that. Sure. Well, first, I think, you know, it really just depends on the person because I don't know that there's a right answer to that. Um, our way just happens to be works for us. And, um, and so, you know, we're, we're, our people are our greatest asset. So without them, the, the asset doesn't rise in value. And so it, it, they're just so important to us in from a financial standpoint, but more importantly, uh, just from a human standpoint. Mm -hmm. So maybe we're willing to look at the business a little bit differently in the sense that we don't feel we need to maximize every last dollar. We want people to have a good experience at our organization, whether they're they're a long time or a short time, that they really feel that they were treated with genuine care, you know, every day, every time. And, um, and, and that's just a conscious decision that we've made. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't think about it any other way. I don't think about how is that affecting the number, the asset value. Now I've just finished here by saying, I actually think it adds asset value, um, you know, for the right buyer, when they know they've got that kind of culture they're inheriting, it, it, it can add, it can add a multiple. Well, and it, it, well, and also an ESOP, which is the people that end up. Just, and that's another yeah. way to do it, which we're not an ESOP and, you know, but that's There's on a, our radar screen, but I don't want to get too into that because yeah. we're not, we're not doing that. So, but, but just to kind of finalize the thought too, but like your ability to care about the culture, you can still care about the asset. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like you're, you're doing both. And that's yeah, they don't the need point. to be separate. Yeah. Right. It's right. so true. How about, how about you, Cindy? 
Yeah, you, I, I, I didn't know. Maybe it's just, you know, left brain, right brain. But I, for me, um, it's the same thing. When I started, I came from a very strong culture at IBM. And I knew the value of a culture. I didn't want that culture, but I wanted it. <laughs> so I knew from the very beginning, it's like, and people say, well, we don't have a culture. You have a culture. Everyone does. Mm-hmm. And I think being strong about your, your core values, strong about your mission, strong about um, you know what you want to stand up for in the world and making sure not that you know that, but that your whole staff is on the same page. And from when you hire them through everything you do to interact with them, um, you want them to go out and do that as well. And for me, it extends out to my franchisees. So it's just that extension. I can put my other hat on because <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, I, I've worked hard and I want to make sure my family is taken care of as well. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean it has to be exclusively one or the other. To me, if I'm choking this off by trying to get every penny out of it, it's like the goose that lays the golden egg. You're going to, you know, don't yeah. do that. It's, you can get both, right? And yeah. I guess maybe the best example is be kind to the goose because you know, <laughs> I, so it's I love really it. important to, to yeah. take care of all sides of that. It's it's a good point. I got to tell you this uh, analogy or to, uh, like a story just like that. Um, this guy, I remember where it came from. He goes, "Yeah, if you if because he was equating the uh, the cash flow to milk of the 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 dairy cow. He goes, if you if you kill that cow, man, you better have one hell of a barbecue. <laughs> it's like oh, I like that. That's um, good. This has been so much fun, you guys. I appreciate your guys' thoughts and just insights. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it with the two wrap-up questions. I know you both know what they are. Um, so I'll start with uh, where can people find you? And Rob, we'll start with you. Okay. Um, you can find me. The best place to find me would be at donothingbook.com. And then you can find everything else from there. And so is that is that all I'm answering right now? Or do I get the other? Uh, you know what? Question? You both know what the second question is. So we'll go for it. What does the word intentional mean for you? Well, for me, it means uh, present moment awareness and being very intentional right here, right now in this moment, because that's all I can really control. So there is no crystal balls, what you've, what you, what you've said. <laughs> That's for sure. Not my case. <laughs> I appreciate that, Rob. Cindy, how about you? Um, you can get a hold of me at uh, cbanchy, B-A-N-C-H-Y, at B-G-C-S-M-N.com. And intentional for me is, you know, I began the business not wanting to sell it, um, begin with the end in mind. Uh, I think that's a really strong philosophy I live with both personally and in the business. Um, and to me, it's uh, you know, have a plan, kick it around, but then engage and execute. Mm-hmm. Execute. That is one thing you are very good at. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for coming on and spending the time. This has meant the world to me. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you.
So one, I would have to say again, thank you so much, Cindy and Rob, for being on the show. I hope everybody that is tuning in really got a lot of good takeaways. I mean, it's the real deal. This is real life. These are people that are doing this and they're doing the hard work. I mean, that's really what this is, is hard work, but it takes the mindset and understanding what you want and then putting some real thought behind what are your ultimate goals, not just from, again, the top on revenue of the business, but the multidimensional goals that we talked about in the first uh, episode in this uh, theme, which is what are the three financial targets? And then how does that tie to what you want from the business and why, which is theme one. And so really put some work behind that. That's my takeaway. And then once you get clear on that, then it's just about executing and doing the hard work to get you to those goals. If you wanted to get a little bit more clarity on how to view your company as a financial asset using your company's financials, check out the Intentional Growth Financial Assessment. The link is in the show notes. It's at arcona.io. And what we do is we break the financials down into four components. And so you get a score on each of those components and then the top uh, overall score. And on the results page, which is the most important part, Pat and I, my business partner, walk through a case study in five videos and a bunch of context about what good looks like so you can see what's possible. And it's not some figment of your imagination, mystical unicorn that you'll never obtain. It's very, it's, it's not complicated. It's just hard work. And I, hopefully that's what you're getting that it's possible. You just need to make sure that you're working on the right stuff and moving the needle in the direction that you want to go. So thanks everybody for tuning in and make sure you uh, tune in next week for the, uh, the next theme. And I will see you next week.